0: welcome to Kingdom of Context. I'm Sean. I'm joined by my lovely life, my lovely love of my life. (laughs) Lindsay, a lot of L's. Lovely wife
1: of your life. (laughs) Hey guys, Shabbat Shalom. Thanks for joining us.
0: My uh, intro took an L trying to use all those L's at the same time. So (laughs) um, thank you guys for being here. We want to do some just some Q&A today and and, uh, let people interact if possible. We're not doing live call-ins today. Um, That always gets real touchy with like how short we got to make each person's live call in and also the quality of the audio and video so it gets really really rough it's it's just difficult experience for everyone else watching so we will take live questions all the moderators please remind everyone um, to put their questions in all capitalization that way we can see them quickly and easily uh, we understand that you're not yelling at us that you're just trying to ask a question so you guys are um, welcome to start doing that when you have a question that comes to mind otherwise how are you doing today
1: I'm fantastic, just Shabbat and Shalom. Nice, nice. Yeah, we had a nice breakfast and well, except I used a new kind of wheat berries for my pancakes today. And for whatever reason, they just, a bunch of them just fell apart when I went to flip them. So Sean had some nice normal shaped pancakes and I had some pancake crumbles.
0: <laughs> You're <laughs> so, such a good cook all the time.
1: They still tasted great. <laughs> Even your
0: your crumbly disasters taste great.
1: I would have yes. to agree with that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, guys, if you have any questions about the scriptures, I know that seems kind of like broad, right? Because people are like, well, what do I ask? Well, we talk about lots of things on here. A lot of people really struggle with questions about the priesthood of our Messiah. Right. Because they're never taught about the priesthood of our Messiah. They don't understand what he's doing for them right now in heaven. Uh, They don't understand that the heaven above us is a physical place with literal land, trees and water and buildings. And like it's an actual existence that the father and his son and the angels live in. So they don't understand these things. And so they really struggle whenever they hear the, the term Jesus as a priest. They don't understand. Or for, all, for you those of you who like to use the word Yeshua, Yeshua as your high priest, they don't get like literally what that means. Right. Because we're not back in ancient times where we would go to the temple and see priests performing their duties and know everything that they're doing because we have to watch them do it all the time. So, yeah. All right. We got some questions coming in.
1: I did want to give one congratulations I saw in there. This is, give me the mouse so I can scroll. Do you remember the name? No, we need to scroll up before the questions started coming in. Someone said this is their baby's first Shabbat. Cool. I'm looking for your name. Okay, here, Nick Martin. Oh, cool. Um, Today's our baby's first Shabbat, born this last Thursday. Levi James. Nice. (laughs) Levi is the name we've picked. (laughs) Um, So happy, you know, happy. uh, Congratulations. We're
0: (laughs) We're not pregnant right now, but we're we're trying to get pregnant. So
1: (laughs) on our list of names that we settled on, Levi's our boy name if we have a boy. (laughs) So congratulations on the new baby.
0: All right. New Palms is asking a question pertaining to the priesthood. So this is good. Perfect. So he's asking, how did Jesus walk around forgiving sins if he was not a priest on earth? Y'all are great, appreciate all your labor. Well, Yeshua knew why he was sent. He knew what was going to happen to him according to the Psalms and the prophets when he was sent to the earth through the womb of a woman as a man to be sinless and blameless and walk around and show us the behavior of the Father. And he knew how he was going to be lied about, handed over to the authorities, killed unrighteously, and all that was going to be encouraged and orchestrated By the chief leaders, priests of his day, which is this is foretold on Enoch and Testament Levi's songs, uh, the Psalms, Isaiah. He knew he was going to be betrayed and killed and he knew he was going to be resurrected. That's also prophesied of him, too. He knew he was going to get his priesthood in the heavenly temple, which is a greater priesthood than any other priesthood in all of creation. So even the priesthoods that the the angels have in their own hierarchy, uh, which is greater than men's priesthood on the earth. Yeshua knew, according to Psalm 110, 1 through 4, he was going to be able to be made a high priest in the order of Melchizedek and sit at the right hand of the Father, which means no angels sitting there. That means he's going to be placed higher than all of them. So even before mankind was truly understanding of these things and to write about it in the book of Hebrews and try to explain it to you, Yeshua already knew the the path that was asked of him by the Father to come and accomplish, which is why he says it's finished, right? That's actually why he says it's finished on the cross and not to say the law's done away with, which is what dispensational people try to impose on it, right? But that's that's actually why he's in his obedience as a sinless, perfect, spot, unspotted lamb of the, of the most high, the lamb of God, to be an example for us on the earth. He had to face what he had to face, but he knew the father was going to resurrect him, give him his glorified body. That's the promise of the covenant to mankind. And he knew, according to all the, the prophets, he was going to be put into a priesthood to mediate atonement for us. So in the same way, New poems, that he can, excuse me, New Psalms. <laughs> what was that, a Joe Biden?
1: Pulled a, pulled a <laughs> Joe
0: Biden there, sorry. Um, so in the same way that he was able to look at the thief on the cross and say, today I tell you, you're going to be with me in paradise, which isn't here yet, which doesn't happen until Revelation 21, which doesn't happen till the day of the Lord when the new Jerusalem comes down. In the same way he can tell that guy that, he knew he was going to be the judge. He announced it in John chapter 5, just in case anyone didn't understand that. He knew he was going to be the one to decide who gets eternal life and who doesn't. Does that make any sense? So in the same way, the only way you get eternal life is if your sins are forgiven. So this is why the the Messiah knew and would announce very rightly, the son of man, which is what he was, has been given the authority to forgive sins on the earth. Why? Because when his kingdom, his priesthood comes down to the earth as a new Jerusalem, all of mankind will be under his authority since he will be the high priest over all things. And he will have the the ability to forgive their sins. Now he actually still does that from his priestly position in the temple in heaven above, which is why we confess our sins to him. He's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. First John 1, 9. I would encourage people to read first John 1, 8 and 9. So the whole point is he's been placed higher than everyone else in authority as our mediator to the father. And he knew that was what was destined for him. He knew the father would not fail to give him that position and honor, which is why Hebrews 5, 7 through 10 reminds us that in his days in the flesh, He learned obedience by what he suffered and the most high gave him this position as high priest of the Melchizedek order. Right? So this is where he absolutely knew I'm going to be able to forgive your sins and raise you to eternal life. So otherwise, if you're imposing a strict literal interpretation that excludes all the surrounding context of that moment where Yeshua said, uh, don't you know that which is easier to say to forgive your sins, to get up and walk. I think that's what he said in that passage. Because um, the Pharisees were trying to testing, right? If if that's the case, then he did it outside of the law anyway. Because you can't the, the whole process of forgiving someone's sins wasn't simply him just verbally saying it to somebody. Like you would have to go make a sacrifice at the temple. You would have to provide the proper offering for the type of sin it was, and it has to be done by an ordained priest in an ordained temple. That was not Yeshua's context in that moment while his days in the flesh before he was crucified. So again, just in the same vein, like you told the guy on the cross in the same way, in Mark 8, 29, excuse me, um, Mark eight thirty nine and Mark 9, 1, that he can stare at the chief priest and say, you won't see me again. So um, coming to the son of man um, in the same way, he knows what's going to happen to him in the future because the prophets have already shared everything. Right. And he was the word made flesh. He knew all the, all the scriptures before him. So there's, there's a lot of context, I guess, in your question about, the role he knew he was, he came to do and was going to be placed into after his resurrection. And I, I hope that's a good thorough, solid answer for you.
1: Um, I was just going to add when he says to the woman, is it the woman at the well that he says that to, he says to a woman at a certain point that her, your sins are forgiven you. Um, And in my, in my understanding, that's him affirming her faith in mm-hmm. him as the Messiah who is able to fully forgive her and deliver her from sin at the resurrection sure. through his authority Look, that's been given to him. I
0: mean, there's even a whole other vein in this that could take another 30 minutes to answer as far as the angelic priesthood that's already happening in heaven all yeah. the time guys. So when the priesthood on the earth is not, it's failed as it did some bad times in history and there was no standing temple and the exiles were away and there was no sacrifices being done. There was still a temple in heaven that the angels minister to on behalf of righteous Israel on re- behalf of the repentance. So, whether Yeshua has been ordained in his role or not, whether men on the earth are unfaithful or not, there was already since creation, there was a priesthood of angels that minister. And this is what the Testament of Levi chapters three and four explain to us, which is why I'm guessing it's one of the reasons why some ancient cultures put it in their canon, because they realized yeah. it was buried with the Dead Sea Scrolls as well. It just didn't make it into the American canon. But because they understood the priesthood and that, this is why, you know, I, I think it's so important that people are aware of that broadcast I did. Uh, Exposing how Rachel Elior, the Hebrew uh, Emeritus professor at Hebrew University She's a um, a professor of the Dead Sea Scroll Research, how her conclusions Were so baffling to her Because in the modern day, she's studying the Dead Sea Scrolls And she starts to realize, hey, wait a minute The first century uh, leaders of Israel Which would be the Pharisees Not the apostles They were being persecuted, so the first century From a woman who's involved in active Judaism To the first century Leaders of Israel that's the Pharisees that we see mentioned in the scriptures. They started telling people, "You cannot read Enoch, Jubilees, and the Testament of the Twelve uh, uh, Patriarchs," because it explains the priesthood of Yeshua and what he was meant mm-hmm. to come and do. And they didn't. They knew people would easily believe in him if they. That's why they were easily believing in him. Yeah. In the first century, <laughs> they, they knew that. They understood what a priest was, and they understood that Yeshua was sent to be their high priest. Yeah not the imposters that Yeshua had to deal with on the ground. So this is a huge topic, but it's a great question, uh, New Psalms. All right, to our prospectors, we've gotten this question a couple times in the past. Um, Do you want to jump on this one? you want to tackle this one or do you want me to?
1: Um, Yeah, we actually addressed it in the last Q&A that we did, I believe. Um, So baptism in in the Old Testament context was the mikvah. It was the washing of water before you approached the tabernacle where the presence of the Lord was or the glory of the Lord. Um, the angel of the presence. Um, so baptism—that was the original. I—I I, I can't remember. There's a whole. Um, there's a whole explanation for how we ended up with this word baptism as opposed to washing. Um, but in the New Testament context, quote unquote, I mean, it's definitely in the context of an outside symbol of your commitment to the covenant, repentance. Um, you know, and your rep- your commitment to repentance of sin and the symbolism of being washed in the water of the Holy Spirit and all of that. So, um, well, Sha- Just
0: just as it was an outward symbol in the Old Testament as well, because people saw people getting cleansed right. and getting ready to go to the temple.
1: Right. But now, obviously, we're not having to wash our feet and our hands and our things before we approach a physical building. Right. So that's why I said in the New Testament context, and by that I mean the, the post-AD 70 context, you know, after Israel was finally completely scattered as a nation and there was no more... Um, washing, even to go to a temple that wasn't necessarily being run by proper priests. Um, now, in that context, that's what baptism is is for. It's that symbolic um, outward representation of, and it's, in my opinion, it's just just like, you know, i um, keeping the Sabbath, eating clean, um, wearing your tassels, the things that people do on the outside that, you know, represent their commitment to the covenant. So that's
0: right. Lisa Seaver is asking, what will us girls' job be in the new kingdom? Mm-hmm. Well, what does the Torah describe? Right? What, what are the many different ways that you can be a blessing to the people and to the Father, um, both as a prophetess, someone that speaks boldly, proclaims repentance, and teaching the, the scriptures thoroughly with sound doctrine? Uh, that's a huge, important job. We see people like that even in the New Testament, like uh, Anna from the tribe of Asher in Luke chapter 2 um she's in the temple it says she never left it she was there night and day she wasn't just loitering right (laughs) she wasn't just hanging out with nothing to do she's not just bumming she was there she the ladies who came to the temple she would engage with them she would as malachi 2 4 through 7 would explain people that are ministers of the temple right specifically priests are supposed to know sound doctrine so were the prophets so if you're called a prophetess that means you know sound doctrine and can teach other women and other young ladies the sound doctrine of the lord does that make sense So there's there's gonna be tons and tons of opportunity for that in the new kingdom.
1: I'm just hoping that my job is the tour guide for all of the crystal mines that I'm hopefully gonna be getting to open and dig through for the rest of eternity.
0: (laughs) You'll be able to like walk through the mountains and see where the veins of crystal are. Yeah, that's
1: I'll have my x-ray vision to just find all the veins. Nowhere to start
0: digging. Exactly. (laughs)
1: But no, I mean, if you think about it, there is a lot of stuff to be done surrounding the work of the temple. I mean, think about all of the livestock that's cared for, all of the food that's prepared, um, washing of laundry. I know that might sound not so fun or something, but I would imagine that wa- washing laundry is even going to be fun in the kingdom, I'm sure, because we're going to be in eternity. So <laughs> there'll be lots of stuff to do besides just performing sacrifices.
0: You're like, hey, these clothes need to be dried. And I'd be like, all right, load them up. And I just stretch my arms out and put the clothes on and I just... Fly ups like 100,000 feet and back down again. <laughs> They're all dry. Be great. Okay. Be good is asking, is it strange that Abraham did not question Yahweh when he asked him to sacrifice his only son? People have written entire book on the silence of Abraham. Huh. <laughs> so this is one of those moments where whoever's writing these books for these types of topics, I hope that the father truly put that on their heart. And I hope they're not just bored with what they think the Bible is talking about because they have to come up with a an entire speculative book on this particular very minute concept in Scripture. Um, in my opinion, Abraham had already been tested multiple times, as the book of Jehoshaphat tells us, and he knew what a test looked like, which is why he says to Isaac in Genesis, Yahweh will provide the lamb.
1: Yeah.
0: So... <laughs> Hebrews 11 affirms to you that Abraham was being tested, right? So if you're a wise man who follows the Torah, which is what Genesis 26.5 tells us Abraham was, you definitely, Jubilees 19 affirms in chapters 17 through 19 that he knew he was being tested and he was patient and humble in spirit during these different types of tests in his life. This particular one was just one of 10 different types of tests in his life that Jubilees expounds upon. So the point is, you start to realize, okay, the father is testing me. He's asked me if I'm going to be faithful. All I know is, it's very, it's it's very telling to me that he would tell Isaac, Yahweh's going to provide the lamb. Right. Yeah, that's fine. So, and remember, there's an angel of the presence with him this whole time. A lot of people forget this part. I mean, it's literally the one who spoke to him and told him to stop with the knife. It's literally the one, you know. So, it's this is one I've in my tour portions I've tried to show in multiple episodes how this angel, of the presence was, was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like all the time. Yeah. Like he was constantly helping them with stuff and around them. And uh, Isaac even says the Lord will be with me when on this journey and he goes and stays for 20 years in Laban's house. Right. So it was, a. Uh, to me, it's, there was, they had so much angelic interaction that it wasn't, it wasn't a big surprise. Um, and so yeah, anyway, I just think it's, it was a test and it was very telling that he knew it was a test because of what he says to Isaac.
1: Well, also, it's a little frustrating that people tend to forget that we, first of all, we don't have every detail of every single thing that ever happened in history, especially in the book of Genesis. We have a lot, a lot of very summarized, long, huge spans of time summarized into just a few verses. So, of course, we also don't have every single thought that went through the head of every single patriarch and prophet that's recorded in the books. Who knows what Abraham thought the moment he was asked? I mean, he might've had some human thoughts in there somewhere of what's this about? But the bottom line is that he trusted God and he also knew the promises and he knew the promise of resurrection, which it says in Hebrews, Abraham knew, even if he did slay Isaac, he knew the father could rise him from the dead. So I just always want people to remember that anytime there's an argument about some silence in the book, it's like, well, Hey, that's not really an argument because we don't have every single second of human history recorded in there for us. So I would say, who knows what he thought in the moment he was asked to do that? What matters is his follow through. So,
0: Caitlin Swirsk, I think I'm saying that right. She's asking, do you celebrate Purim and the Feast of Dedication? And if so, how do you celebrate? No, and no. (laughs) No, we don't.
1: Uh, We don't celebrate, um, but there are a lot of people in this community who do. And you can uh, feel free. I'm pretty sure you're, I'm pretty sure I know you're in our Facebook group. So feel free to submit a post asking for anyone who keeps those two holidays, how they like to keep them. Um, Cause I know you will at least find in our crowd, a lot of people trying to stay away from the really Jewish um traditions in there where Purim is basically a Jewish Halloween for them at the for what modern what it's
0: turned into yeah
1: for modern Judaism so if you just go to our group and submit a post we'll prove it for you so you can get some input from other people because we don't condemn the keeping of those sure. holidays we just don't keep them ourselves so we can't give you any tips on like you know ways to decorate and things to make to eat and stuff.
0: Uh, Michael Stevens is asking how was the made for Israel during the Babylonian captivity? And he asked this about 14 minutes ago. So we actually already addressed this in our question about the priesthood. Brother, if you're still watching, rewind it about 14 minutes. And um, we okay. were actually addressing out another question.
1: It be the uh, angels. Yeah, sure. the, the angels
0: have their own. Short story, shorter. In. It's the angels. Yeah. Um, Cal, N- Cal Nielsen is asking, is there any difference between soul and spirit in man? And if so, what are the differences? Is there any difference between soul and spirit in man? If so, or- this is one where I've said in the past, it seems it depends on the translation. Yeah, um, because it seems clearly Genesis two seven, dirt man, breath of God the Almighty blows into him, he becomes a living soul. So it's to me, my understanding is that the spirit is like an animated. The reason, okay, let me let me slow down. Sorry. Some translations will interchange the word soul and spirit, and that becomes confusing. Okay, if I were to define soul, I would go off Genesis two seven and see that it's the combination of the dirt of the earth and the animating spiritual power of God, right? The same thing that moves and creates and did all kinds of stuff um, to create something into existence. Okay. I would see that it's God that, that his breath of life breathed into Adam and became a living soul. Once he's a living soul, he now collects experiences and memories and um, things that he's judged by right?
1: Information. It's
0: it's basic info, right? It's actually reminds me of the, um, the old apologetic. I used to, I think it was Chuck Missler that used to talk about this, that would say that, um, there's an apologetic that it's, it's a, it's a playful analogy, but it's, it's based off of a computer, right? Of that. When you put information on a computer, it doesn't gain mass. It doesn't gain weights. Yeah but that information is real. It's there, it's organized and it communicates something effectively And that information can be augmented or useful or harmful or whatever. Right. But then when you erase that information off that disc drive or that thumb drive, the thing still weighs exactly the same. Similarly, my body still weigh the same. I know some people have tried to try to say there's like a minute millimeter difference of weight when the, when the soul leaves the body at death, but Ultimately, I still weigh the same, like, no matter how much information and experiences I gain in my life, throughout my life, I'm still going to, my physical body will still weigh the same when the breath of life leaves me and my soul, which is, which is that collection of information, goes to Sheol to await a new resurrected body. Okay, so to me, that's, that's why some translators interchangeably call it the spirit, and that's why, like in Isaiah 26, 19 through 21, you'll see some translations will say the dead will rise their spirit. The earth will give birth to departed spirits. That makes any sense. Um, Which is interesting because that kind of translated language is very consistent with how Enoch speaks about the soul, about the spirits and sheol, the spirits of man without bodies. Um, So just keep in mind translator insertions and and, uh, preferences, but also we understand the soul seems to be a collection of information after there's a combination of the, the dirt of the earth and the breath of life. And there is a spiritual body. There's a spiritual being. And that's what angels and the father and the son possess, is an actual body made of spirit, right? This is one that can go through the firm layers and live and exist in the heavenly layers above, um, which is what we're promised at the resurrection is to have a spiritual body. So <laughs> it gets kind of, it gets kind of convoluted with the semantics of the translational concepts and defining the, the separate words and their separate contextual uses. But, Hopefully we gave you a quick summary. That's helpful.
1: Yeah, I file that one in the don't hyper focus on it too much drawer because like Sean said, it's really convoluted and it really depends on who you ask and what verses you're reading. And I don't think it's that important to sound doctrine. So,
0: so the 90s child is asking the current, what are our current thoughts on Deuteronomy passage about cutting off her hand if she grabs the genitals of another man? Context of this uh, instruction was specifically if they're in a fight. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if one of the, if there's two men in a fight one of the wives comes up and tries to get involved in the fight. And part of her attack is to grab the genitals of the man attacking her husband. Um, it, the, one of the punishment was that she would lose her hand. Right. Okay. And what we had talked about in our tour portion was that it was because she was basically literally trying to steal the offspring from that family. Yeah. Because she was going to destroy his ability to reproduce. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, we have really um, made it sort of a comical thing to injure a man in that area. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, there's a lot of America's Funniest Home videos that I've laughed at in my life. Okay. But I think that has desensitized us to just how seriously the father takes, um, you know, the treatment of that area of a, of a, a man or a woman um, because of the procreation aspect of it and how important that actually is for him. So yeah. we can all kind of look at that like, you know, geez, lose you your hand. What's the big deal? Well, it it's a very big deal to him. And I just think we're very far removed as a society from it also being a big deal to us.
0: Yeah. So I don't know if this was a thing because the rest of his question he's asking, if taken literally, you'd think mm-hmm. he would elaborate on how to make clean the bloody wound. Um, no. They knew all t- sorts of medicine that's not put into the scriptures yeah. as far as how they would treat cuts and uh, dismemberment of limbs and things like that. Um, they, they had their own medicine. I mean, they knew how to do circumcisions on the side of the road with a flint rock and be OK. Yeah. They had their own balms. Yeah. There was multiple balms that are spoken about in the book of Jeremiah. Like they, these people weren't dumb. These weren't cave dwellers. Yeah, and these people built the pyramids. Let's so just literally. remember,
1: like, of course, the Bible is the word of God, but it's not the only uh, written words in existence. You know, it's not the only books right. um, that that human, that mankind ever had. It's not the only knowledge mankind had and shared with each other as societies and tribes and clans and whatnot. So, um, yeah.
0: No, brother, I'm sorry. I don't think it will be. Um, that I'm not. I'm not there to represent uncommon ground. Um, I'm being asked to speak on my Investigating Babylon series, so a little bit different topic, different channel, different thing. I know it can be confusing because it kind of all blends <laughs> it together and everything. But maybe in the future we'll get invited um, as Uncommon Ground. But uh, I don't want to I don't want to disrespect uh, the, the person inviting me by by you know uh, showcasing and making a an or a thing out of something a topic she didn't invite me. To go, to go there for. Does that make any sense? All right. Um, Nick Martin is asking, wait, what's up, Nick? How you doing? Um, you think there were any watchers that denied Azazel's proposal to fornicate with women? You know, I don't know. It's one of those behind-the-scenes concepts. Like, I think of the, the archangels that were faithful, uh, the ones listed off in the same book of Enoch in chapter 20, the seven, and I think, you know, was Michael around anywhere? You know what I'm saying? Like, he he's clearly told us that he's the one, he's the He's the angel that's been tasked as the guardian of all the all the believers of Israel as the head leading angel. So uh, was he there on the earth doing helping mankind also at some point, um, specifically with the descendants of uh, of Adam down through Noah? And then the rebellious angels got together and messed with other descendants. I, like, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, it's an interesting thought, but it's hard to say. I don't see any writings on it.
1: Just another detail that's not provided for us.
0: But in my, in my book I'm working on, I'll have all those details, but it's all just speculate. It's all just, you know, f- fiction. You
1: know. <laughs> We're talking about a, a fiction trilogy. He wants to write, not his study guide that he's working on right now. So, FYI.
0: Yeah. Many years ago, guys, I, um, I oh, started, a book, tell him? well, I've told him before, but okay. was, many years ago, like in 2007 was when I started the research. Um, I, it, it, uh, escalated in 2010 to 2014, when I was getting all three books in the trilogy fleshed out and I realized it was a huge story and it was going to be have to actually be like eight to nine books and not just three. And so um, the first three books though was, was, you know, the ones that were written and, and I had started submitting uh, proposals to um, agents and uh, uh, literary publishing companies and literary agents. And I got a few offers, but they were really bad offers. Cause I was a, I was an author, I was a new author that had never been published before, and I didn't have any kind of following, right? Which is what the literary industry calls a platform. Well, now we kind of do. We're still pretty small, but we kind of, you know, we have um, our channel here just hit 17,000 on well, Came of Context. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate that. But, um, but literary publishing companies, they want to see you have like, you know, 50 to 100,000 followers before they give you a book deal. So, and some people just didn't want to take on the nature of the topic because it's about it was about the hundred years leading up to the flood. And there's rabbi S. angels involved. There's Noah. There's the whole family. There's Nephilim. Can we
1: say the title?
0: Yeah, I was calling it Days of the Deluge. Uh, it was going to be a whole series. So but that's because um, I've self-published two books in the past and I, I like to write. And, um, and this was me trying to bring in a practical way, you know, for people to learn from. I was trying to bring that story of the hundred years leading up to the flood and Noah building the boat and all the struggles he may have went through and overcome to make that a reality. Having to deal with the rebellious angels and the Nephilim existing in the same time period as he and he did. And uh, what would it look like in that world and all the wars and everything? And so it's a big it's a big, big novel story. Um,
1: Historical fiction.
0: Yeah, historical fiction. So that's that's what I was quickly reference
1: cue all of the comments accusing you of starting your channel just to start a following, just to publish your books.
0: <laughs> if that was the case, you'd have heard me talking about it weekly. <laughs> you I
1: have, just see it now. I'm like, yeah. Oh, these people are like, that's why he started his channel. He just wants to sell people his books.
0: Yeah. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have wait. I wouldn't have waited four years to, to give you an actual explanation of the book.
1: Well, plus you've got to rewrite all three yeah. of them now anyways. Cause he, he yeah. woke up to the, there's more Torah that I cosmology. want to put in there. Yeah. More Torah. There's
0: the, the ferment, I've got to change the ferment yeah. because that was before I understood <laughs> biblical cosmology, yeah. right? So there's some there's some things I have to change yeah, in Mother it.
1: Babylon in there, or that might be no, for a no, later. That's that's a for later the,
0: the three books after the flood. So, <laughs> um, Travis Sims, we we answer this question so often, brother. I don't want to be disrespectful to ignore your question. I just we answer it so often.
1: <laughs> well, we can just shortly answer it. I, I do,
0: but we actually have an entire video we've made for I address this specifically. So if you go to, if you type in, in the YouTube search bar, kingdom cast, that's kingdom cast, not kingdom in context. Kingdom and cast is our secondary channel. And you type in, um, you know, why do Torah men grow beards or something I can't remember the exact title. Um, Hannibal's in the chat. He may remember the exact title, but but if you type that into the YouTube search bar, the video will pop up. It's like three to four minutes long. And I address this exact questions. Uh, The scripture that most people use is taken out of context. They were marring the sides of their beard as a um, ritual, as, a, as an actual occultic ritual to a god named Oratol, which is a Canaanite deity. It had nothing to do with men just being be, wanting to shave their beard. Does that make any sense? There's no instruction yeah. nope. in they the Torah to that a man beard. has to grow a beard. Right. Okay. So um, that's the quick quick thing, but I expound in greater detail in that video I mentioned. All right. Travis is also asking about when is it lawful to divorce?
1: Deuteronomy 22, I believe. Is that the chapter that lays it out for us?
0: This is a big topic, babe. This won't won't be a short answer. Um, But for the sake of everybody else that's asking questions, I'm going to try to make it brief. But obviously we got 1 Corinthians 7, adultery. Um, You've got, you know, a lot of people use that Deuteronomy verse. Atheists and agnostics and people that hate scripture will use that Deuteronomy verse to say that, oh, if, if a woman just displeases his wife, he can get rid of her. But one of the reasons, according to the actual Hebrew, we tried to show this in a Torah portion one time. One of the reasons that it would call her displeasurable is because he found that she was being fornicating with something else or she was basically cheating on him. So it's still consistent with what Paul mentions in First Corinthians seven. It wasn't just that she doesn't sweep the house the way you like or she put on a little weight or she she had kids and now she doesn't have sex with you as much. That's not what it means. It meant literally that she was in most and especially in the cultural case, she was fornicating. Literally by worshiping another god. Yeah. So it, it had more to do with rebellion against the covenant, and becoming and doing the practices of those who've rejected Israel and rejected the faith of Yahweh, versus just you having a fight with your wife. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So, so, that's the short, short, short version.
1: Yeah, and unequal yoking is also addressed in, um, but that's the root of that issue that you just explained. That they'd be very unequal yoked if right. she is, you know, betraying the covenant covenant to go worship. Other gods. Engaging
0: in temple prostitution. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um actual physical abuse is not is, is not allowed. It's all. not allowed and is grounds for divorce. So I also just want to get that out of the way. I am an advocate for survivors of domestic violence, both male and female. And just way too often I see a lot of people saying, if you're being literally abused, you have to endure that or you're allowed to separate, but you can never divorce. And um so- I would say It's not true
0: either. In ancient days, if if a woman was literally being abused, she could not hide that because she needs to come to the temple to be evaluated by the priests for her family sacrifice. She would come with her family, with her husband to the temple to be evaluated and to confess her sins as a part of the constant weekly engagement of the people of Israel with the priests of Israel. Okay. Priests of Israel see that she has all these bruises on her because they didn't cover their whole face. It's not Islam. Right. Yeah. And she's being physically abused, or she needs to go, or that that word travels through the community of women to, to an elder, or to yeah. a leader, or to a priest. Well, the priests were the judges. Guys, think about this for one minute. And the reason why this becomes such a contentious issue is because it's not specifically stated. Right. Right. But what is specifically stated? She can't beat your children, and you can't beat your animals. You think your wife suddenly is lesser value than those?
1: Yeah.
0: So. People that pr- promote this, it's it's complete. I'm not saying you are, uh, Travis. It's, no,
1: yeah, we're not saying you we're, are.
0: We're expounding on your question for people yeah. that may be listening. But, but there are there are men out there that promote this idea and say, well, the Bible doesn't tell you you can't beat your wife. You know what? The Bible also doesn't tell you you can't stick a knife in your arm every day and not kill yourself, but just hurt yourself. Yeah. It doesn't tell you that, but you're not supposed to do that. You're, you're inflicting harm, right? You're supposed to love and cherish your wife as you as Christ loves the church. Or as Yahweh loves Israel, it's the same concept, right? So, of course you can't beat your beat your wife. <laughs> of course, yeah. in the same way you can't beat your animals, right? You're supposed to love these things and cherish them, take care of them, yeah. be gentle and kind with them. Um, this is why I, I think it's such a travesty. The Book of Tobit is removed because this is one of the things that that Tobit's mother-in-law directly says to Tobit when he when she, when um, they give their daughter to Tobit. Is She says to him, the husband says one thing and then the mother-in-law comes over and says to Tobit or it's actually Tobias, the son says, you know, make sure you be good to her and do not uh, bring her any harm. Yeah, You know what I'm saying? And you're like and treat her kindly and you're like, yeah, that was something that was talked about openly in the ancient world. You didn't beat your wives.
1: Yeah, this includes sexual violence as well, guys. Well,
0: sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just
1: for anyone who needs to hear it or anyone who needs to know we think it, you know, like just for the record that yeah. For the people who say there's no such thing as marital rape, like, yeah, yeah, you're that's your of your father and the devil. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah. So there's there's a lot there that, that sometimes gets lost in in the modern misunderstanding of the ancient culture and a lot of yeah. assumption and things like that. But, yeah, you're if, if you think that the spirit of the father encourages you to beat your actual spouse, which is supposed to be part of you, that's become yeah. one with you you're you that is not the spirit of the mm-hmm. father right that's right. the spirit of the enemy spirit of the devil that is not scriptural <laughs> the dog are getting excited
1: <laughs> just one of them
0: yeah whenever i get passionate about something one of our dogs notices and she starts making a lot of noise
1: she's
0: maybe the, she's just being like hey man don't beat me
1: she's the blue healer she just likes to talk i think she just wants to be part of the show <laughs> or maybe she's bored yeah. i want to go for a okay yeah. okay all right, she knows we're talking about her, so <laughs> I got to change the subject. That's okay. enough, Bella. Uh,
0: Did di- trick, Angela, uh, I'm sorry, I can't. Legareta? All right, one second, guys, one second. Hey. Okay, so um, Angela is asking, will people be sinning in the 1,000-year reign and then no more sin in the forever kingdom? Mortals who have not given taken part in the first resurrection that are still alive and repopulating the earth, um, who live around the kingdom of God that descended, They will still be sinning. They will be coming to the priesthood to confess their sins and make atonements. Um, They will be coming up for the feast days where there's atonement offerings made for them. But the resurrected mankind that takes part in the first resurrection, they will be glorified and will not sin anymore. So then those people that are alive and mortal mankind that live and repopulate the earth through the, the thousand year millennial reign, that's what the second resurrection is for. They get their immortal bodies. They get glorified and resurrected. And we'll never sin again. So, yeah. because it's it's the promise of the covenant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They'll that's, still be under the old covenant. Guys. They will.
0: We'll be in the new covenant. Yeah. They'll be under the old covenant. That's
1: when it'll actually be happening. Because that's the whole
0: point of the covenant is that you practice the behavior of Yahweh. Right. And then if He says, yeah, you've practiced it, you seem sincere, you want to do it forever, He gives it to you perfectly and forever with your new resurrected, glorified body. That's the, to get to the resurrection is the fulfillment of the old covenant. Yeah. So, yes, absolutely. Uh, It's just—it's a huge question. I'm gonna—I'm not familiar with. I know people try to make an argument for this one. I'm just not familiar. I can't remember the exact verse where they try to make the argument.
1: I thought the argument was um, baptizing people for the dead or baptizing on behalf of the dead. I'm not sure about praying for the dead. Yeah,
0: yeah. You can. I don't see anyone in scripture told to pray for the dead specifically uh, because there's no outcome. They've already been their fate's already decided. So. We also don't want to fall into um, the idea of ancestor worship, right? Where they actually literally set up shrines to their ancestors that have passed and they pray to them for guidance and wisdom and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. For the question about sacrifices in the kingdom, it is a really, really huge question with a big answer. Just to give you the short version um, sacrifices, first of all, were not only for sin and atonement, there are all kinds of sacrifices that are used to work Well, they're all worship of the father. So there's Thanksgiving sacrifices, peace offerings. There's sacrifices done for all of the feast days. The sacrifices are also not just an animal being slaughtered just because it's a meal. The animal is cooked and eaten. So sacrifices are actually a big family barbecue. You can think of them as a big family barbecue with the father and all his angels, and all his people. And so, of course, all throughout the kingdom, we're going to be worshiping the Father, and we're going to be fellowshipping with him, and we're going to be eating sacrificial meals with him. So Yeshua coming does not change what the sacrifices actually were. He also was not a literal human sacrifice. I would definitely recommend you check out Sean's video called Substitutionary Atonement on his Kingdom Cast channel that will thoroughly explain for you Um, what it actually means to call Christ our sacrifice and to say that he died for our sins because he was not a literal human sacrifice that came to end all other sacrifices. This
0: is something that uh, Catholic and Protestant churches teach that is out of context to the scriptures and also it's out of context to the actual priesthood of our Messiah, which is what I, we actually opened up the Q&A talking about how this is such a big topic no one understands, um, which would cause questions like this and teachings where you got this question from a teaching. Sure. Someone told you at a church at some point, sacrifice is done away with, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, you should our final sacrifice. Not
0: realizing that literally Hebrews 8 1, 5 says he's doing them in heaven right now yeah. on your behalf, like right now, today, even today, especially yeah. today. It's a Sabbath. Yeah. So like he's literally having a, a, a meal to to court the favor of Yahweh on your behalf. That's the part of a priest. It's his propitiation for you, it's his mediation for you. It's his intercession. Right. It's to him to go to the father and say, hey, yes, I know they're messing up, but they're under my care. I'm discipling them. I got it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for thank you for showing them mercy. I got them. Trust me. And the father says, I trust you. Right. You showed me you can do it perfectly. You're the best teacher they could ever have. And I've given you the power to give them the spirits through your priesthood office. And so therefore he becomes not only our intercessor, but he becomes our help in helping us with the, the spirit. Right. So. It's a it's a wonderful position for the high priest over Israel, right? It was a very a position with great responsibility, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. But he's not Spider-Man, he's our Messiah. It's very practical, right? So I guess, yeah, there's a whole bunch of assumptions built into questions like these. Yeah. Um, but it's but it's a good question, Ocean. Thanks for asking. Okay. Walking with Paul is asking. There's some assumptions made in here as well.
1: Yeah, some big assumptions.
0: Walking with Paul is asking, Sean. Given your Unitarian theology, which that's an assumption, brother. I'm not a Unitarian. Uh, Can one pray to and or worship Jesus? Please explain your reasoning and thank you. Well, I'm not a Unitarian. To my understanding, Unitarians, uh, the predominant belief of Unitarians is that they believe Jesus did not exist in heaven before he was sent to the earth through the womb of Mary, the woman. I do not believe that. We've done tons of tons of videos. I I I can't even think of one. Because I've addressed it so many times in so many videos for four years, I can't even think of one specifically right now. Um, maybe, oh man, um, all the of our Enoch videos, Son of the
1: Father playlist, uh,
0: the Son of the Father playlist is yeah. a good one. Um, if you want to go to our playlist, go to Son of the Father. I got five videos there breaking down the Trinity and how I don't agree with the Trinity, which should also help you understand that I'm not a Unitarian, yeah. Unless you're just looking to put a label on something, um, and I'm not an Arian uh, because they also believe that he that Yeshua couldn't have could not and cannot in, in embody the fullness of the, of the Godhead, yeah. which is anti-scriptural. Um, but ultimately all these are just silly labels that are brought about from the yeah. Catholic church. Yeah. Right. And that's something that we don't, we don't mess with that. We're stuff not, we're here. not
1: tarians of any sort. We yeah. just are Bible tarians. We just take the words for what they say, that there's a father and he begot a son and a father precedes a son. So the father existed before the son and the father is the creator of the son. And they're one in spirit and purpose. And they both have the Holy Spirit, who is not a separate person or a separate member of the Godhead. We just believe in the father and his son. It's,
0: it's hard for some. But your second question, the idea of Yeshua, our Messiah, the son of God, teaches us to pray to the Father. So just as in all of Israel, again, this is goes into just, you know, I'm, I'm not saying walking with Paul. I don't know your history with the scriptures. I'm not I'm not putting this on you. I'm just saying in general, a lot of people do not understand the idea of what it means that we would call Yeshua our Lord and our high priest. But yet he's still under the authority of the father that was given to him by the father. And we still pray to the father. They don't understand that that breakdown because there's so much Trinitarian doctrine that they're they're weeding through. Right. So much confusion there. The the Messiah told us to pray to the Father. It's very simple. Just as any high priest of ancient Israel would tell you to pray to the Father. So when you in ancient Israel, if you were to go according to the Torah, if you're going to the to the temple or the tabernacle to confess your sins to the priest and provide your your lamb or your handful of flour or your whatever, your first fruits or whatever, that priest receives your confession of sin and then mediates on your behalf to the father. The the person bringing their confession, the priest, both of them are still praying to the Father. Yeah, that's why Yeshua is our High Priest. So,
1: yeah, we pray to the Father in the name of Jesus or Yeshua, which means in the authority of Yeshua. So, we're acknowledging when we say we pray this in Yeshua's name, we're acknowledging He's the authority over us that's going to take those prayers, our confession, and mediate before the Father on our behalf. So it can be confusing because of the you know, praying in his name. But if you remember, name means authority, not just, oh, we pray to the literal name Yeshua. Um, It might become a little easier to understand that you know, where it's under his authority that we're praying to the father. So he's still involved in the process and he's still worthy of our worship in the sense of we're we spies. will bow to him. Yeah. Every knee will bow to him. You can, there's different <laughs> definitions of the word worship. And one of them is bowing in honor of somebody, but the other definition is sacrificing to and giving a food offering to. And so that kind of worship is only done to the father, even with Yeshua, Yeshua does he it
0: to the only, father only worships yeah.
1: to the father with the, Sacrifices that he um offers, so it's also understanding you know which version of the word worship are you using because absolutely, we're, he, Jesus is our true worshipful master, <laughs> and uh, you know, we will bow to him, yes, but we're not going to make sacrifices to him.
0: Yeah, he's we he makes the sacrifice on our behalf sacrifice. with us to the Father, yeah. right? He's he's going to be giving his thank offering yeah. to the Father too because he's he's the Son, he's not the Father why is this such a it, it reminds me of the, the whole the whole gender confusion concept going on in our culture right now where the trinitarian thought process is to make a father and a son not have definitions anymore yeah and to be like they're just oh they're just the same they're the and you're like no they're not well, they're the same well they're
1: the same but they're different they, a they trinitarian say, will tell you they're the same but they're different they have the
0: same essence and you try to say well what do you mean by essence well they're made of the same substance okay but they're different entities but yeah. yet one is still equal and co equal and co-eternal yet in one so then we have two fathers we don't have one as the son well that, plus that's the why Holy
1: Spirit too one of my
0: one of my debates I asked the guy so then we're just you're you're just arbitrarily using the word son at yeah. that point the, the word son doesn't actually have a definition anymore at that point you're just saying right. he's the son but he's also as equal and as eternal as the father and he did not come from the father yeah. the father didn't create him so you're like you're describing two different gods yeah like that is not that isn't no they're one god and you're like, bro, that's not how words work. So it really it reminds me of the modern day cultural uh, push of conflating terms and ideas yeah. to confuse people.
1: Trans- transgender women are women. Okay, what's a woman? A woman is only whoever a woman identifies that. as a woman. <laughs> I mean, yeah,
0: yeah. it's, <laughs> and so, but that to me, you know, when you look deeply at the people that originated the Trinity, how insistent they were to people to believe it. Or they persecuted people for trying to get to, to believe it and how it got worse and worse over time. And then became adopted as a staple in the Catholic uh, doctrines that then they tied into it. The idea that you don't have, you're now in the new covenant because of it and you don't keep the law because of the Trinity. It yeah. makes me, it, it reminds me of the modern push to confuse people with words and terms to take away their definitions and meanings just talking about that this morning about how yeah. words have definitions and meanings. Yes. And if we stop, if we move away from them and start subjectively using definitions to our own and away from their actual definitions, it confuses people. Yeah. Right. So yeah, man, it's, it's such a weird battle. I never thought we would be involved in when we started. This is this trendy thing is crazy.
1: As someone who it's, wasn't it's raised Christian and I just came into this world and this stuff just made sense to me from day one, right? Reading up front to back. I'm shocked at how Christians treat each other over differences in doctrine and how how quick they are to say you're anathema. Basically, that's the Catholic version of you're headed for the lake of fire because you d- disagree with this doctrine. Yeah, I, the, the ease and the comfort that people have with declaring the death sentence over their brethren in the faith because they don't believe this version of this doctrine, this version of that doctrine, this version of this doctrine. It's... it. <sighs> flabbergasts me and as someone who was in the new age world for most of my life i mean i never saw people people never condemned each other over it because all of our beliefs were such scrap of uh what's the word boggle where you know you i had boggle beliefs where you just throw them up and you you put little religious beliefs together you know i mean and you just make things up so people didn't you know, condemn each other over their differences in their spirituality in that kind of world. So coming into Christianity, I thought I was going to like meet people and, oh, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian, too. Yay, we're family. And no, it's like, wait a minute, you're a Christian, but let me get out my checklist to make sure you're a Christian according to my terms. Yes. The terms that I were taught was taught. And I'm just like,
0: it's really bad amongst the the reformed movement that pushes Trinitarianism, Calvinism. Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of Southern Baptist teaching mixed in with that. And yeah. I'm, I'm talking about denominations and doctrines at the same right. time, because they're most prevalent in those. And it's, yeah, it's sad. It's really sad. And in some, what we jokingly call Torah terrorism, Yes,
1: absolutely. people that come into the
0: realization of the Torah and they do the same thing, but with the law of God, instead yeah. of with, you know, fourth, fifth century philosophers or Catholic philosophers. I mean, we have people so. telling
1: us we're not true believers because we won't outright condemn everyone who keeps Christmas. Like, we have people telling us we're not believers because we don't teach the bride divorce and remarriage doctrine. Like it's, it's, it's insane y'all. <laughs> I just got to say that it, you know, it makes me always grateful that he's the judge yeah. and not any of us and not any of the people that accuse us.
0: <laughs> That's right. So on a lighter note, Andrew is asking, oh. Andrew Amos is asking, is there a new Torah cookbook oh. you can recommend? He's new to eating clean.
1: I have never looked into um, any tour cookbooks. I can recommend um, the Essential Homeground Flour Cookbook from Sue Becker. Um, gosh, I wonder if I can, I should just go ahead and link her presentation in the chat for you. Because um, there's all kinds of great recipes in there. And you'll learn about all the benefits of milling your own flour from fresh grains and how God intended that to be the bread that we're eating. So, let me look here. But I'm sure if you uh, just Googled, you know, um, I don't want to say kosher cookbook, but unfortunately, like that would be the realm that you'd probably be finding cookbooks in because there's all kinds of uh, Orthodox Jewish people out there that like to cook. So um, I would just ignore any of the rules they have in those cookbooks about not having meat and dairy on the same plate and things like that. But hmm, maybe that's something we should... uh, Try to get going sometime. A tour observant cookbook. That'd be pretty cool. All right. I'm sorry. I'm distracted. I'm coming back over to our chat here to drop this link for you. Andrew Amos, I'm dropping this link in the chat for you. Check out this presentation from Sue Becker. It starts at about 15 minutes. And just get ready to have your mind blown and your life changed if you actually start milling your own flour because it's been life changing for us and everybody else who's testified to us that they've also made the switch so
0: okay carlene c is asking a good question because this is actually something i had to consider uh because of my recent invitation to um this uh, flattoberfest so they're asking how does one attend events taking place on the sabbath without breaking it for example staying at a hotel will be causing others to work attending the event money exchange thank you so all right i'm going to address the hotel one first and then I'm going to address the event itself okay because uh the event that I've been invited to is from from it's like a 3-day event basically um it's friday or it's thursday night technically friday and then sunday saturday so it's all it's like thursday night then all day friday and all day saturday so i had already planned because i'm going to have a table there with you know like t-shirts and my first Enoch book and give a presentation i had already planned not to do any sells on the Sabbath. So for us, for me, that means the moment of sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. But anytime around that, I can still, if people want to buy a shirt or a book or whatever, I can still do that. I can't stop people from donating to us to give the digital version or whatever. I can't stop that. Right. That's going to happen because there's going to be people that are not believers. That's the, that's kind of the cool thing. I, I feel honored to be invited to this is because it's actually kind of, there's a lot of people there that have a lot of new age, non-Christian beliefs. So I hope to be a light to a lot of these people to share some truth through the Investigating Babylon uh, presentation. So with that said, um, I will not be actually doing any sales during that time. But the whole reason I'm there is to share the truth of the scriptures with people. So that means I'm going to be answering a lot of questions just as I always do everywhere I go. So what what I've learned is that um, if, if I, this is, I didn't expect this when I first started the channel, but but what it's become is that whenever people notice me at an event or a public gathering, they want to ask me questions about the Bible and that's okay. That's fine. Um, I'm, I try to be, answer and engage as much as possible, but also achieve the purposes for why I'm there. The purpose for why I'm going to this conference that does take place with a Saturday involved in the timing is to share the truth of scripture. Right. And to bring awareness to why we need Jesus as our Messiah and why we should repent, do his ways and seek the resurrection that he wants to give us. Right. Um, so this is uh, to me, you know, there won't be any actual exchange of money, but there will be a place to go and to share scripture with people. I can't stop the, the the public hotel from operating just because they because they're constantly operating. I can't stop the the city from allowing power to be done and people that work at the power plant. To provide power to both the event center and the hotels in the surrounding area
1: just like we can't stop the ones who are powering these lights behind us right now
0: and this computer that we're doing this live stream on the same one that powered up your phone to do the live stream like that all the work that goes into everything we do all the time that yes sometimes bleeds through the sabbath as well like we can't stop people that are not abiding by the sabbath we can't force them to abide by the sabbath we just do our best not to cause people to work for us that doesn't mean that you just lay in bed and don't move for 24 hours
1: yeah. So um,
0: especially when you have an opportunity to go share the light.
1: Yeah, it's really about our part in things. Also, it's about what is the event. You know, there are all kinds of really cool events that Sean and I would love to go to in our area that are always on Saturdays. All the best farmers markets are on Saturdays. All the best craft things, craft fairs, and all that, always on Saturdays.
0: We um, don't. We don't go to those. So
1: we don't go to those. Um, because those no. definitely you're going to that to buy crafts, and I don't if even if I'm not going to buy crafts, I don't want to be tempted to look at them and want to buy them. You know, it's just not, not an activity I would want to do on the Sabbath. Now, if there's a funeral service for somebody on the Sabbath, like there was for my Nana who passed away last December, they had her service on the Sabbath. It was at a church. I'm not sure what was paid to the church by my grandfather and the family to put this service on, but you know, there was a church that was open and the church ladies had made all the food for us there, you know, um, I went and I, you know, fellowshiped with my family and we celebrated my Nana's life and I didn't spend any money. I didn't do any buying or selling. I didn't work for anybody. So I kept the, I kept the commandment in all the ways I'm able to keep that commandment. And I, and also without demanding anyone around me, stop what they're doing and keep it the way I keep it. So it's also about, you know, what kind of, what kind of event are you talking about? sometimes you end up having to travel on the sabbath and that's just how it happens so just try to have all your stuff bought beforehand sean and i will make sure our hotel is paid for before we get there and then like we traveled last month on a sabbath and i had our whole cooler all completely packed and the only stops we made at gas stations were to go to the bathroom and you know you try to fill up before shabbat begins fill, fill your tank so just being prepared for anything that, you know, Im- involves travel or being at some sort of event on the Sabbath, just like Sean is preparing to not be selling his products at his booth on the Sabbath at this event. Um, that's also the advice that I would put in there. So, you know, what kind yeah. of event is it and what are you doing? Like, you know, there's is it causing some, you to work and causing you to buy and sell? Yeah, there's it's, it's nuanced. It's not so black and white as a lot of people in this crowd like to make it. <laughs>
0: um, Christy Kerr is asking if a husband being the head of a woman was given. if Okay. If the idea of a husband being the head of a woman was given as a punishment for Eve's sin, that would be your first assumption. I would say it would be, would be uh, not correct. Would, would be the punishment. Why would the punishment still exist after the resurrection? Why? She basically asked, why wouldn't a woman be a priest in the kingdom? Well, she wasn't a priest before she sinned.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) How about that? (laughs) That's the quickest answer. That's the assumption you're making in the question. Is that she was already a priest, and then suddenly Adam was put as the priest over her? That's not the situation. Both Adam and Eve mm-hmm. looked to the angels that were in the garden over them as the priesthood over them. This is what Jubilees tells us. Again, all, look at how many questions come about. People had these huge gaps in their understanding because Genesis is so limited. Yeah. And the ancient Israelites read and believed Jubilees. It was, you know, this is why they thought it was so important to bury so many t- copies of the scroll with the Dead yeah. Sea Scrolls, right? Um, like it's it's baffling to me like how many points of theology that Enoch and Jubilees answers and, and lo and behold there's there's written testaments that the early elders of the first century Judaism decided to start telling people stop reading those two books and just listen to what we have to say now we have all this confusion even when it comes to little yeah. questions like this it's just uh, it's, it's so heartbreaking it's so heartbreaking but yes sister it's a great question. You're assuming that Eve was already a priest before this event, and that's not true. Adam and Eve were there in the garden according to Jubilees for seven years. The angels were over them and teaching them the ways of Yahweh and how to how to live and how to do husbandry with everything and how to exist in the garden and not get kicked out. Right.
1: Yeah. And what's the downside here? What what really is the punishment?
0: It's not a punishment. That's a, well, you know.
1: What really is the downside? It's not that uh they're in a marriage and the husband is head of the household in a marriage. The downside is that now, instead of just having angelic priests who tend to get things right and tend to not defile themselves to where they can't make atonement for you because they're no longer holy to enter into the holy place, now she has to depend on a fallen man to make that atonement. So think about it that way. You know, um, I don't think it's just about oh, she was made subservient to him, or why can't she be a priest in the kingdom? We, it won't be that way in the kingdom. We won't have mortal priests making our atonement for us when we're resurrected. We'll all, be, we'll all be actually higher than the angels and no longer in need of sin sacrifices because we won't be sinning. So
0: This is also why we've tried to distinguish the different types of priests as listed in Torah. The, the word priest just means minister, yeah. a kohan. Right. And this is why the high priest is called the Gadal Kohan, which means the high priest or higher than the greater, the chief, the chief minister. A minister just means servant, guys. This is why in Isaiah, th- those speaking of as the resurrection, Yahweh calls them his servants. Yeah. You will be his servant in his house. He's the head authority. Yeah. You're going to be some servant to the Father. Yeah. Right. In your resurrected, glorified female body, which will have the fullness of the law on your female hearts. And so you then will be still a servant in his house. You just may not be the high priest who does specific certain sacrifices before him, but you're still going to be a minister in his house. Yeah. So it's kind of a terminology breaking down some of the semantics, I guess. But hopefully that's an encouraging answer for you. Um, All right. Obed is asking, how do I know the father's will in finding a wife for me? The faith match is unrealistic here. I really wish. I think he lives in India, I think so, so yes. that's why he's saying that. I really wish the father enforces. I w- I really wish the father enforcers his will for me without the enemy showing,
1: somehow. without the enemy
0: somehow misguided me. Okay, Well, brother, I, you know, may the father bring you someone that is is a proper match for you. I know it can be difficult where you are, and um, if the, the community of believers is not big or it's not a part of your your city or your area. So I, I understand. I do. Um, so I just keep praying. Hey, if my, let my life be a testimony to you, right? I'm someone that lived around a ton of believers in the Bible, what's called the Bible Belt of the United States. Lots of churches, lots of women that were single and believers. But I did not find the one that he had for me until a certain time period. Now there was some, there was some growth that was I, still, I had to do. And then there was just also some growth. She still had to do. Yeah.
1: I had to cook in the oven quite a bit longer.
0: So we, he was, you know, if we're using the cooking metaphor, <laughs> we were both still being baked and prepared yes. before we could be assembled together. Right. So I know it can be frustrating brother, but remember, this didn't happen. Like I, I married someone when I was much earlier, my much younger, when I was early twenties and I was not equally yoked at all. It was a bad situation. Um, We ended up divorcing after four years. It was, but then I, I went many, many years without, you know, getting married again because I was trying to make better decisions and I was, the father was still working on me a lot, right? Father was still preparing her all that time as well. So I'm 43 now, but I did not marry her until I was 38. So think about that. So I, I waited 38 years before I finally found the one that he asked for me that I feel like is my perfect my perfect companion and helpmate and she's amazing. And she's perfectly baked for me. (laughs) She's is wonderful. So it takes time. I know it can be frustrating if you haven't found it yet, but do not give up hope brother. Why? That's just my personal story. Right. But let's look at the scriptural story. Abraham literally grew up in Babylon Mm -hmm. and father still brought him a righteous woman. He literally grew up around the entirety of the offshoots of the nation's that were deceived and been dispersed from the Tower of Babel, hardly anyone worshiping Yahweh. And, he's, and of the little bit of amount of people that actually worshiped Yahweh, Father brought Abraham a righteous woman. So Abraham was righteous, doing faithfully the commandment statutes and the Torah of Yahweh. So this, this will be my first encouragement to you. Put yourself on that path. I'm not saying you're not. I think you are, right? Stay on that path and, and trust that he'll bring you a helpmate for you. He can do it. He did it in the in the most slimmest of circumstances in Abraham's day. And he did it for me as well. So um, just be encouraged. OK, yeah.
1: And just for the record, I wasn't even looking to for a boyfriend or to date or to be courted or anything. I actually have from my experience Um with a really violent relationship, I had sworn off relationships altogether and I was just going to be alone for the rest of my life. And I certainly never thought I would get married. I still had very feminist programming in my head that, you know, marriage was bondage and oppression. So, you know, the father brought Sean into my life and I knew immediately the first time we talked on FaceTime that I was supposed like, he was my husband. When I was going to marry him. I felt there was something, there's some weird knowing in me. So, you know, he'll, He'll bring it around really like when you're not looking for it, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, So I would just like to ask everyone watching that if you would please lift our friend Obed up and this situation that he's in, because I'm I'm pretty sure he's in India. So I know that's a really tough place to be um, in terms of meeting other believers. So if y'all would just lift him up, that the father would show his will for him if he has a righteous woman for him somewhere.
0: Okay. We're, we're sorely behind on the questions. There's a lot, guys. <laughs> um, we're trying to, the, I'm going to answer some of these real quickly. Okay. Okay. Um, Travis Sims, there aren't any books in the Sefer that we think are not scripture just simply. We don't agree with the translation of the insert. There's a lot of a uh, Trinitarian leaning inserted into the translation of the Sefer. Um I, had a, I saw another one here. Um, I don't, no, I'm not going to address that one right now. I'm sorry. Um Arturo M is asking, Hi guys, what happens then with the stoning of a cheating wife against the lawful divorce of a cheating wife? What happens then with the stoning? Oh,
1: of a cheating why? Wife okay, so against... the cheating wife is divor- um, stoned rather than divorced, rather than divorcing her.
0: Well, it, you'd have to have the testimony for one, right? Yeah. You need the testimony. You need, you need the idea that uh, the man sure, and the woman witnesses, are both caught. They're brought before the elders and there's witnesses. Right. And they can be validated. Other than Otherwise, you just have the displeasure of the wife telling the husband or it being told to the husband, but they're both not actually witnessed and caught. And it's just, you know what I'm saying? So there's, uh, there's other signs possibly um, versus actually being caught in the act and having witnesses and all that kind of stuff for the actual stoning, the the immediate death penalty concept.
1: Yeah. The death penalty always included um, a trial guys. Like they were always brought before the judges so I think a lot of us forget they didn't just pick up the rocks like the Pharisees did in right. the New Testament. Like there was a much more of a process for that.
0: Um, yeah, all right. Thanks. Thank you, moderators, for helping us get rid of the spam. I'm not I'm not doing that one right now.
1: That's fine. There was also a super chat in there somewhere. Yeah, I
0: see it up here. Um, um, Zana Eads. Thank, you so, thank you so much. Your super chat. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Zana. Uh, Travis East is asking, does Sean, or excuse me, Travis Sims is asking, Deshaun, does God want us to defend ourselves? What is the context of turn the other cheek? Uh, let me pull up this video that I've done for you on this very topic. And I go into great depth on this. And so give me one second. It was one of my earlier kingdom casts from like a year and a half ago.
1: Man, you've got a lot of kingdom casts. Yeah. Seems like just yesterday you told me your crazy idea of starting a second channel.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Number 40. Okay. Let me get the link. I'll drop it in the chat for you. Um, So it's Kingdom Cast number 40. And I dropped it in the chat for you, uh, Travis. So it's called Self-Defense During Persecution is the name of the title of it. And I go into great depth as far as uh, addressing that question for you. Hopefully it's a, a blessing to you. Yes, you can defend yourself. And, and I go into all the family. circumstances of the New Testament believers and why they didn't at times versus why others did. So and then in the Torah about why you can and why you should and how we will in the future. Yes. So I, I try to cover various different circumstances for that question. All right, Colton. Yes. The seed of ham, the idea. Uh, this is all right. So he's asking, can you explain Jubilee's twenty-two twenty, where it says the seed of ham will be destroyed? So let me just go ahead and pull up the context, because this is more than just. um but in all, in largely the seed of ham is not specifically taught. We've okay. How do I goodness? There's so many does it ways to go say the with it. seed
1: of ham or let, me, let me pull it up. I thought it said the Canaanite. It does that as
0: well. Um, let me just pull this up real quick. There's so many ways to address this, but it's um, just like Yeshua tells us in John chapter eight, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he's, and the Pharisees claim that they were the seed of Abraham. And Yeshua tells them, if you were the seed of Abraham, you would be doing the deeds of Abraham. He says, but as it is, you're the seed of Satan because you do the deeds of Satan. Right. So he's not literally saying they're biological descendants of Satan. He's just saying to be the seed of God means you're doing the behavior of God. To be the seed of Ham means you're doing the behavior of Ham. Right. So it tells you in verse 21 in the actual passage. I'm going to put this on screen. What you is the
1: verse?
0: Yeah, but look at the context, baby, the context. I know, but it says. This is why we do it. This one, pulling it up. Just give me a minute. So as always, we want to encourage context. So when we look at this, the context of the passage in question, hopefully they can see that. Um, yeah, tell me if they can see that on the thing. Hold on,
1: bring it back to live. Yeah, it's there.
0: Okay, good. All right, let so me make it a little bigger for them. So this is the passage in question here. It says, "Be you aware, my son Jacob, of taking a wife from any seed of the daughters of Canaan?" Right. This is a rebellious people that were out of covenant with Yahweh that refused to be in covenant with Yahweh. Doing the ways of Baal and Osiris and Zeus and Ra, they were not doing the ways of Yahweh. Okay, for all his seed, Canaan's seed, is to be rooted out of the earth, for owing to the transgression of Ham, Canaan erred, and all his seed shall be destroyed from off the earth, and all the residue thereof, and none springing from him shall be saved on the day of judgment. So, oh, this bless you, baby. This is a this is a language that's often used in scripture and culturally was used to speak about how your behavior made you a son or daughter of somebody because you, they had a discipleship culture back then. They had a, a master pupil culture, right? Where you would have to understand if you were the master of Yeshua, you were a child of Yeshua. Essentially it's this, it's why Paul would reference himself as being a father over his disciples. Okay. So therefore these people would be considered, seeds of God or seeds of, you know, children of God, because they do the commandments, right? Does that make any sense? That language was used culturally about these concepts. And this is the same language being used by a Hebrew Moses who wrote Jubilees to explain that same concept as far as if you're doing the behavior, which Canaan, because of the transgression, the behavior of Ham, Canaan picked up on that same behavior. And that's why all who share that behavior will be removed from the earth on the day of judgment because you're not respecting the behavior of Yahweh. So with that said, if you go to, can they see this? I'll just change screens. Can I see it? I don't think they can. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put another video up for you, okay? Because I think the, the root of your question, Colton, is because you may not have heard a good breakdown on Jubilees chapter seven, where it explains exactly what Canaan actually did, right? People think that Canaan had a baby, with noah's mother and that's where ham noah's excuse Mark, me his mother. people people think that ham had a baby with noah's with his mother and that's where canaan came from that is not true that is canaan was already two years old when that event happened in genesis 9 and jubilee 7 so let me pull this uh scripture up for you on screen real quick and uh, not the scripture I'll pull the video up where i talk about this in great depth give me just a minute here and you can go over this it's in my what do you know about jubilee's um to 10 video And I'll drop it in the chat for you if you're still watching. It's my kingdom cast number 83. And I just break down the scriptures to show you Ham didn't rape his mother and Canaan was not the the child that was birthed as a result of that. That did not happen for one. Canaan was already born. It's just about watching your father do behavior and picking up that behavior. What was the command of the Torah? Deuteronomy 6, uh, 6 through 9. You're to teach your sons and daughters the Torah, right? So if if they're watching you do opposite behavior of the Torah, which is what Ham did when he disrespected the whole, his uh, father, who was his priest, Noah, then yes, you're not doing the Torah. And he had a bad heart about it, even to laugh in his disrespect, because uh, his heart was not inclined to respect Noah as his authority, which is Torah, right? So this was where, and he's not honoring his father. It's a basic Torah, too. Yeah. There's, so
1: there's even a verse there that sums it up saying, um, as the children of Sodom were taken away from the earth, so will all those who worship idols be taken away. So it's
0: put it back on screen.
1: talking about that behavior, the the behavior of idol worship. Yeah. In verse 22 there. So it's summing up for you, the context yeah. of what it means.
0: Yeah. Hopefully that's help, helpful to you. Okay. We're going to take probably just two more questions and then we'll, we'll cut it off here. Nope. Oh, just refreshed. All right. Joy is asking. She says, I'm trying to understand Revelation 14, 9 to 11 versus instant evaporation. Just trying to learn. I'm not sure what you mean by that. Let me go to the the passage real quick. We'll put it on screen for you. All right. So it says the third angel followed them, calling out in a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on his forehead or his hand, he too will drink the wine of God's anger poured undiluted into the cup of his wrath he will be tormented in fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment rises forever and ever. Day and night, there's no rest for those who worship the beast. And it's image for anyone who receives a mark in its name. So let me read your question just one more time to make sure I understand what you're asking. Uh, I'm trying but, to understand the
1: So burning forever in that fire rather than just instantly being annihilated. Oh, in well, the there's
0: fire. two there, There's two different things you got to delineate here. God's wrath that's poured out are the bold judgments that happen on the day of the Lord. Versus the judgment of the sheep and goats and Satan, the false beast, the false prophet, the unclean spirits, the Kings of the earth, all the people that are thrown in the lake of fire. So there, and, and those who receive the beat worship, the beast. So there's a difference, I guess, and people that might die because of they, they are killed when the bold judgment poured out on the earth at the coming of the son of man on the day of the Lord versus them being stood for final judgment and being thrown in the lake of fire. So, this summarizes both. This is why it's saying don't take the mark because you're qualifying yourself to, to, to receive two types of things. One is the wrath that's undiluted, which is the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of God poured out. And you will be tormented means you will be in, you will be thrown in the lake of fire in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. We've, we've went over that in great to tell because it's because it's the holy angels who actually apprehend the people and bring them before the Lamb for judgment at the sheep and goats judgment and also at the second resurrection when everyone's pulled up from Sheol and resurrected, even the wicked are resurrected so they can be escorted by the angels apprehended by the, the security officers to be brought before the, the great white throne judgment and stand judgment before Yeshua to be judged as guilty and thrown like a fire and destroyed forever. So this is kind of an important part, if you say, uh, but it's just telling you you're going to be lumped into that, that crowd of both if you're receiving the mark, you're going to be uh, you're not going to take part in the first resurrection. And to my understanding, which I try to teach in, in my Investigating in Babylon series, you're also going to be pulled into the battle of Armageddon itself if you've taken the mark. So this is why I started to break down the ideas of what the mark could possibly be. But what it seems to say is that everyone who takes it gets pulled into battling and, and trying to fight Yeshua at his return, which is Do not You do not want to be in that crowd. That's why there's survivors that does not participate in that battle who are then called sheep and get to live. But all the people that are pulled into that battle with the 10 kings and the beast and the false prophet, they're trying to fight Yeshua and the angels that is coming. They get the wrath poured out on them. And then if they're still alive, then they get Yeshua and the angels physically coming down and doing battle against them. And they're going to lose that battle every time.
1: Yeah, and it says he will be tormented in fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. It doesn't say he'll be thrown in the lake of fire, and it also says the smoke of well, their.
0: That's that's what that means. That's the that's what I was trying to explain. Is there's the that's this is the the terminology we see in Revelation um, nineteen and twenty for the lake of fire, and it's also in Second Esdras, and it's expounded in two different contexts okay. in First Enoch
1: the smoke of their torment rises forever right. and ever. It doesn't say that they are tormented forever and ever. Right. And it also says day and night, there's no rest for those who worship the beast in his image. Now, just remember we are entering into his rest when we're resurrected and That's brought right. into the millennial reign good point so don't forget like there, there being no rest for them well that doesn't mean that they're awake for all of eternity being tormented it means they don't enter into his rest
0: and the reason you it's referred to as the rest you enter into the rest of the resurrection is because you now have ultimate peace with Yahweh yeah uh, you get to enjoy paradise which is his rest um, and you get to live in his house with him and since you'll never sin there'll never ever be enmity between you and him there'll never be friction Because you're never going to disregard his commands. You're never going to do opposite behavior than him in his house.
1: Yeah, we'll get to rest from all of the wickedness that we live in in this world. Like, well, it'll be a rest for us because we'll never have to deal with, you know, being the peculiar people on the earth anymore. Like we'll be the we'll be the main peeps. (laughs) The earth will follow our lead. (laughs) So I think that'll be quite restful.
0: Okay, guys, we're trying to catch up on some of these. We'll just take one more question, though. Uh, there's been so many.
1: Yeah, please don't take it personal if we didn't answer your question.
0: Um, I, mean, I just have to, unfortunately, that's a good question. I just got to skip over it because it's going to take 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's, it's a much longer.
0: That's a whole teaching. Um, this isn't going to be uh, an official question. I'll just tell you real quick. Gabriel, go to stay on this Kingdom of Contest channel. Go to my videos and go down to my Kingdom Come playlist. I got three videos. I'm going to be adding more to that playlist later, but there's three videos in it right now. Kingdom Come, and I address um, that as well. And also I have um, a video that you can type in Kingdom of Context YouTube, um, Doctrine of Demons, Part 1. And I address specifically the preterism argument there. So you're welcome to check that out. Hopefully that's a help to you. Man, the trolls are persistent today with their spam. It's crazy. I wonder if they do that to people that are doing like New Age broadcasts with healing and
1: whatever, know. whatever
0: they do on the, I wonder if they come in there and troll those live chats. Oh, thank you. Uh, I hope I'm saying that right. Is it Dietrich? Dietrich? Dietrich, Angela. Thank you so much for the super chat. I really appreciate that. That's that's kind. And we still haven't. Okay. We're about to catch up now. Guys, if you want to ask a question, like we've, we've bypassed a couple questions that are just like partial sentences. Make sure it's a fully written question. You know, I don't, I can't, make up the rest of the question for you. I can't assume to know what you're asking. You have to write a full, a full regular sentence with a question mark. So I know what you're actually saying. It's I can't just assume.
1: Thank you for the prayer, Tracy Jones.
0: Oh uh, Thank you, Tracy. I appreciate that. Okay. All right. I'm going to take this question real quick. Gabriel's asking, this will be our last one guys. Thank you so much. Regarding Acts 24, five, would you differentiate the Nazarene from the so-called Christians of the first centuries? Uh, no. Um, because some of the church fathers condemned the Nazarene. So I don't, I don't know about those claims for one. So you'd have to show me what church fathers, um, and there's a lot of things that happened, but from the end of the first century AD to the fourth and fifth century AD between good hearted believers versus, uh, Italian philosophers that came in and started creating What we now know as the Catholic Church and its original ideas. A lot of the Gentiles that became faithful but didn't have the foundation of the Torah looked at Hebrew believers differently. And there was a lot of animosity because the the synagogues, the Jewish Pharisee led synagogues, persecuted believers. Rome was persecuted. There's a lot of confusion during those times, guys. So I don't know the exact claim you're making. All I know is that I believe Acts 11 Christians were first called Christians at this Antioch. Antioch. It's just that simple. It's not they weren't they were literally just the same group of believers being persecuted like Peter and John and Philip and Barnabas and Paul and all those guys. It's the same. Um, we don't see any great differentiation between the writings of Irenaeus and Justin Martyr, which was just 40 to 50 years later. Um, so I would say I would need more evidence of what you're talking about. And where you're saying some church fathers condemn the Nazarene says, I've seen some really bad teachings on the Nazarene um, from someone that used to be a believer that is no longer that I tried to privately address and he ignored it. So, uh, yeah, I don't know where you're getting that term, why you're asking this specific question or the claims that you're building off of. And I apologize. I can't give you a better answer than that.
1: Um. You know, it's an honor to be persecuted for being a Christian. And whether you're personally repulsed by the term or not, the world's gonna look at you as a Christian no matter what you're calling yourself, because if you follow Yeshua of the scriptures, that's that sets you apart from the world. And what the world has come to know us has as is Christians. And so Um, I just think that instead of being so adamant about trying to change the label for ourselves, um, just rejoice in it, man, rejoice in being peculiar, rejoice in the world not understanding us, Um, you know, just rejoice in those things, rejoice in waking up from your own cognitive dissonance and your own ignorance to the fullness of the Torah and rejoice in your ability to be a light to other Christians to show them, you know, the fullness of the Torah. So I would just encourage anyone who feels like so repulsed by that word Christian, um, you know, take that to the father. Cause I, I think there's a heart issue there. If you're that bothered by it, that you want to make sure people are calling you by something else and then that you want to figure out, okay, what do we need to be called by? I just feel like it just gets us even into more of the sects and the cults and the denominations and the separation and division and you know, um, I'm a Christian and I don't I'm I'm not ashamed to have people call me a Christian or to call myself a Christian. If you knew my whole life, what I thought of Christianity and Christians like you would understand <laughs> it's a big deal for me to call myself one. So I just I just wouldn't worry so much about that, guys.
0: It's funny you say that because, you know, I was just talking this week to you about um, about we're going to be adding West Blaze to our kingdom in context, hanging on right. this word study group. And um and putting his his logo and his name and the title and his logo and the banner and everything, and so um, man, these chat these spam guys are really spamming today. They must have a whole bunch of bot accounts. Um, and so we were talking about that. About you know, Westblaze was making a joke that it's now going to be like the longest group name ever. And um, I was telling Westblaze, I was like, yeah, I would love to figure out a way to create like a name for for multiple online ministries. That, that teach what we all teach, which is the gospel of the kingdom and all the different, you know, the different facets of the gospel of the kingdom, which a lot of churches don't talk about, right? Yeah. So it be, does become unique that certain ministries are actually talking about it and others aren't. And if those ministries got together and that's what they were known for talking about, then people would start to call them their own denomination, right. which is sad, right? But it's like we try to cover the whole Bible and talk about everything in it and make sure we remind people that the whole context of the Bible is the Messiah's message, which was the con- the good news of the coming kingdom of God, a literal coming kingdom of God to the earth with the new Jerusalem. And but to come up with a name that would encapsulate all those ministries as one, we then would probably be called a denominational based right. off that name, which is sad because it just you know pigeonholes you into some. Weirdness and become can become a slanderous term, or can become a derogatory term. You know that other people who disagree with us. It's just sad that that's the way that things like that get happening. Because just it's the tribal nature of man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Everybody wants to have their own
0: flag, their own tribe, their own signifier. Everyone
1: wants to be right. Want to be a part
0: of a little group. It's us. We're better than your group. We're
1: not like those ones over there. Let me tell you. I understand. I just want you to know. I understand. The delineation between mainstream Christianity and what's taught in those churches and what we believe as as followers of Jesus and, and the commandments. And I understand wanting to make that differentiation when you actually get into a conversation with somebody about it. But let me tell you the amount of times I've gotten into that conversation because I tell people I'm a Torah observant Christian. It always leads into, oh, well, what does that mean? I've never heard of that. Well, then I get to explain, well, I'm a Christian. I follow, because they know, an unbeliever knows what a Christian is, That's someone who follows Jesus of the Bible and believes Jesus is the son of God, okay? So if I'm trying to actually share my faith with these people in terms they'll understand, of course, I'm going to refer to myself as a Christian and not a Nazarene or a Hebrew or a follower of the way, because they most likely won't ask me to explain what any of those things mean, When I say I'm a Torah observant Christian, they know what a Christian is. Now they're wondering, well, what's that other? What what are you talking about with that? So I get the opportunity to share the Torah with them, anyways. So and they still know I'm not a mainstream Christian. They know I keep the Sabbath. I don't go to the Sunday churches. Like they know I'm not a a Christmas person. Like you know, they know those. I get to explain those things, and I didn't have to divorce myself from the word Christian to do it.
0: And the word Torah, you we also get to explain it's not some special sect right it just literally means your discipleship
1: yeah and it's not just for the jews It's the behavior of
0: jesus i'm a disciple of jesus and so i'm a christian so therefore i do his behavior so therefore i'm a torah observant christian
1: yeah
0: versus people who claim the torah is bad and was not the behavior of jesus those people are mistaken yeah (laughs) Those people need to continue reading their Bible. Yeah. Right? You can
1: still explain to people what's wrong with Christianity and identify yourself as Christian to them. Like, I'm living proof of that, guys. They don't confuse me with the Christians in the churches because I'll, you know, I take the opportunity. Yeah. So.
0: Okay. Thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, we're going to go W A L K with our dogs. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, We thank you guys for being here, for engaging, for asking questions um, and for all your support and your love for us and your prayers for us um, as we try to conceive. And uh, and so we're excited. We're excited to see what happens. We're praying that we don't get to Abraham and Sarah's age. But uh, yeah, but my dad, hey, my granddad lived to be like 91. So you never know. Now I'm eating all this natural wheat. Yeah. This natural ground flour that's that has good nutrients in it. Who knows? Maybe I'll get to 120.
1: Yeah. And I'm only 36. I keep telling myself.
0: <laughs> so. can you imagine if we were still doing this and I was like 110? No. It'd be like, I a, it'd be like no. a like virtual reality hologram kingdom in context. And I'm like in a big room walking around, you can see my whole body. And I'm well, I'm with my cane and I'm like, I've been saying this for 70 years now. Being a Christian just means keeping the commandments. That's all it means, guys. It's not complicated. Yeah.
1: So thank you guys and everything he said. Plus, I love you too. So we just appreciate you guys joining us.
0: Nice guys. We'll see you next time. Yeah.
1: Have a great week. Bye.